0: Welcome, everybody. You've uh, tuned in to I Don't Care with me, Kevin Stevenson, right here on Market Scale Radio. Uh, really excited to have you with us uh, today. Got a very interesting guest, as we do always. This is Dr. Adam Saltman. He is the Chief Medical Officer at ECHO. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit today about the integration of telemedicine with digital technology and AI. So, Dr. Saltman, welcome to uh, I Don't Care.
1: Thanks, Kevin. It's great to be here. Honored to be speaking with you.
0: Thanks. Glad to have you. So tell us a little bit about Echo and and, and what your company does.
1: Sure. Echo is a a very interesting company. It started in about 2013 as the brainchild of a graduate student in biomedical engineering, uh, Connor Landgraf, who basically said, um, you know, what, what can I do to advance cardiopulmonary care? And he thought about uh, using a tool that's very inexpensive, everyone's got one, Um, something that people use every day in clinical care. And he came across the stethoscope and uh, basically said, can I put brains in a stethoscope to help people uh, take better care of their patients? And so it's been an interesting journey over the last uh, seven years or eight years almost, um, developing several different products, Uh, one, the core, which looks exactly like a stethoscope. Um, it has a small electronic module in it that captures sound and digitizes that sound and sends it to a smartphone. And then the second generation product called the duo, which has, um, a diaphragm that captures sound as well as two little electrodes that capture an EKG. Hmm. And so it's the only one of its kind that does that. And it also sends that to the smartphone. So you can see sounds, you can actually see the electrical signal on the smartphone, it's pretty cool that way. But our latest release was in 2019, a package of artificial intelligence algorithms that can analyze those sounds and those electrical signals and detect whether there's a heart murmur or atrial fibrillation mm-hmm. or several other maladies. And I think that is what really sets things apart is uh, artificial intelligence.
0: Okay. Really interesting, you know, uh, obviously with the with the explosion of telemedicine during the, the COVID age now, uh, you know, uh, that, that's been great for, for us to be able to pivot away from the in-person uh, clinic visits to the virtual visits, you know, I, and I've talked about telemedicine quite a bit on, on my podcast because many years ago when I was in outstate Nebraska, I was with a system that was very cutting edge, as far as rural telemedicine goes, and so I know the, the the incredible benefit of it, and I'm really glad that it that it's certainly increased, uh, you know, over the last few years, and certainly this year we didn't have much of an option other than to utilize telemedicine. But I know, you know, some of the frustrations that it, that have come to a lot of the uh, the healthcare providers is just the fact that they can't, you know, they couldn't listen to their patients remotely very well. So, you know. That's why I was really interested whenever I saw you as a, as a potential guest. You know, learning more about that. So, you know, and, and so some of the people, you know, th- we're even seeing people going overboard now with uh, people have gotten comfortable with the virtual visit, and they're thinking, why do I ever need to go back into a physician's office? So, talk to us a little bit about, uh, you know, how you know, do you guys see that differently? What do, what are your thoughts as far as percentages of uh, in-person visits versus virtual visits, and how does your technology really play into that?
1: Yeah, I think that you've hit on it in that listening to the patient is gonna be a critical determinant into where things eventually settle. Because we originally didn't think of telehealth as a major offering of our products. Uh, We were really aiming at the software, the artificial intelligence, and when COVID hit, we realized that the Bluetooth connectivity between the stethoscope and the listener enabled them to put on all their protective equipment mm-hmm. and not have to stick holes in it for the earpiece. They could just listen through the Bluetooth connection. So okay. the telehealth really t- took off mm-hmm. and we developed a um, what we call a live stream app, which is just basically a modification of our basic app. Mm-hmm. And what it does is, It enables you to have a video conference with your provider, but also all those sounds and electrical signals I mentioned get transmitted over the internet to your provider. So now, when I listen to physicians say things like, well, I don't think a Zoom call is a really good physical exam. They're right, it's not a good physical exam, but if I can give them an EKG, if I can give them heart sounds, lung sounds, bowel sounds, whatever they want to listen to, um, combined with that video, now they feel a lot more comfortable. They're getting a real medical evaluation. And the patients too, they feel that, wow, my doctor actually listened to me, even though I'm far away. Mm -hmm. So we've seen the market go crazy, like you said a minute ago, 99 or 100% of visits were taking place remotely. Now we've seen well, just before this most recent uptick in cases, we saw it go down in some cases as low as 10%, which was astounding because I never thought it would go that low. But I, this is what we were hearing from the field. And now, of course, it's bouncing back up again. But we are really pushing forward full speed ahead with, a, with a, uh, an experience that is exactly as close as you can get to an in-office experience. We Mm -hmm. want to gather blood pressure, oxygenation, heart sounds, lung sounds, body weight, all those things in a kit. And then you give it to the patient, Mm -hmm. just like being a visit in the office. And I think that's, what's going to get to, you know, a high level of adoption. Yeah. Permanent adoption.
0: Well, and and you touched on something I didn't even think about would be, you know, utilizing this in conjunction with PPE uh, in the, in the live setting. That's, yeah, I, I didn't even think about that. So that's a that's a great uh, benefit of this too. Well, and you you just brought up that that package, uh, the monitoring package, yeah. And, and that that brings me to another another avenue is the chronic care management arena, and and I've certainly seen this utilized in some of those uh, areas as well. Uh, any insights into that?
1: yeah that's you know people have tried now for several years to tackle the care of patients with chronic disease such as heart failure Mm -hmm. chronic lung disease uh, things like that and there's been variable success and when you look through the experience and you look through the literature people have tried all different approaches everything from nurses visiting people every day to a phone call every day to a whole bunch of technology and it's quite frankly, a bit of a mess trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. But we think that the fundamental of it is really gathering data on a regular basis so that you can track uh, body weight, you can track blood pressure, Mm -hmm. you can track oxygen levels, all those things over time. And if you can apply artificial intelligence techniques to that stream of data, you can identify problems that are going to happen before they actually happen. And that's why we can shift care uh, very fundamentally because mm-hmm. we do a really bad job in the United States of taking care of patients with chronic disease. You right. know, they, they crash into the emergency room all the time. Mm-hmm. CMS has decided the way to deal with that is to cut, that, cut off payments if, if you come back within 30 days. That's right. CMS's approach. I think it's a little bit of a heavy hammer, but the point is it's a problem and it costs us a lot of money, bad quality of life for the patients. They continue to deteriorate. If you had a tool that could tell you your patient with heart failure is going to get worse in five days, you could prevent that. You could take action to prevent that. And you could keep that pace. Yeah, you could take that patient out of the hospital or the emergency room. And that's our ultimate goal is to gather all that data it's a huge amount, it's a mm-hmm. huge amount of data, and figure out a way to digest it, identify problems, present it to the practitioner and say, red alert, your patient's gonna get in trouble, go give them a call, do a
0: televisit, figure out what's wrong and fix them. Th- thus, thus your AI component of your company. Correct, absolutely, yep. Okay. Interesting. So, so you've also said that with, with the proper tools, telemedicine will be able to mimic that in-person exam. But what kind of barriers do you see to the access of these, of these tools that, that your company develops? That's a great
1: mm-hmm. question that we struggle with all the time. And, and one of the biggest barriers is just simply logistics. Um, it's easy if I have a chronic a patient. If I have a patient with chronic disease at home, I can give them a kit and it's going to stay with them for mm-hmm. months. But what if I want to do a visit with you and it's only your yearly checkup? I have to get the kit to you. I have to get it back. I have to clean it. I have to, you know, I mean, the whole logistics thing Mm. is honestly a nightmare to deal with. And Mm. unfortunately the, the payment structure that's been set up for physicians who take telecare of their patients is not tremendously lucrative. And so if you start paying logistics companies, it, it, it becomes, a wash or a loss, mm-hmm. and that never gets it off the ground, right? People are not going to do it if they lose money doing it. And sure. so we got to figure this out. It's a problem. Yeah. So,
0: Well, and I was just thinking about that because again, going back to my days in outstate Nebraska, uh, mm-hmm. you know, we were, we were really that regional tertiary hub for a huge geography. And, uh, you know, we found the utilization of telemedicine for, our specialists, ranging from from psych to neuroscience or neurosurgery, you know, you name it, uh, worked out really well because those folks could go into, you know, their local critical access hospital or whatever. And so, again, that was 20 years ago. Now, with the advancement of technology, you know, what about you know? And, and this just kind of came to me and tell me how crazy I am for this idea, but but in in rural markets could you not set up basically like that telemedicine clinic where they have, the, they have the, the package right there and the clinic, you know, people are only driving maybe 10 or 20 miles versus 100 to 200 miles and, and you're able to catch an entire rural county. Uh, so you're smiling, so maybe I've come onto something. You
1: have hit it on the nose. I okay. mean, that is one of, yes. I want you to come work for us in our okay. marketing. Well, hey, we yeah. need to understand marketing access. Um, yeah, you've got it right. And that is something that um, I think certainly for the short term is an excellent solution. It gives mm-hmm. them a centralized point of care. It's not as far as a 300 mile you know, trip and wow. enables us to unload a lot of that um, logistical burden. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, we could send you know a dozen kits to the... Local federally qualified health center or something like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay. Well, good. Uh, I'm glad that one of my harebrained ideas sounds like it might have uh, oh, some merit. So we're
1: totally something. on board with you there. We're totally on board with. <laughs> okay, you. Okay. Good. Absolutely.
0: Great. Great. Well, and, and you've got a really interesting background. I see that you, you know, you were were trained in general and cardiothoracic surgery, and then you you migrated. You, you spent some time with the FDA, and you know. Uh, there's there's been a lot going on with the FDA lady uh, lately, uh, considering COVID, and so uh, any any insights from your from your old company that uh, that you might want to share regarding, uh, you know, because I, the reason I ask is I had a a pharma executive on last week who uh, was talking about the uh, the approval process, and and you know that's one of the big barriers that a lot of people have to even can you know, taking the vaccine as they're concerned about that, uh, about that shortened approval process that, that, uh, you know, that occurred. So I I know we're not talking about echo here, but, but, you know, I'm going to take advantage of your experience. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: Well, we actually are talking a little bit about that. Um, Yeah, so that was very interesting. I actually um, left the FDA in March, which, as you know, was when the sky was falling with COVID, So I had a lot of, um, let's say, uh, memorable parting events to remember. Um, So, yeah, what happened at the FDA is something uh, very interesting. I mean, I worked in the Center for Devices and Radiological Health, so we avoided most of the storm around drugs and biologicals that you're hearing now. Mm -hmm. But we were very much the first center affected because all of the personal protective equipment is our medical devices. Sure. And so I actually, at the time, was the shortages lead for the center. So I was at the eye of the hurricane. And um, well, that's a bad analogy because it actually was very stormy where I was, but not calm at all. But we uh, had to stand up the entire process of the Emergency Use Authorization, the EUA, that Mm -hmm. you've heard so much about. And it was, it was a process that had been little used actually. It was mostly done in more or less a uh, preparatory positioning type of approach. Like a company would have, let's say a diagnostic device and they knew that there might be a shortage. So they applied for an EUA and they got it, but they usually didn't exercise it. It was just sitting on the shelf waiting for a shortage. When all of this hit with COVID, and there were no masks and there were no gowns and there were no gloves and it all of that protective equipment we had to quickly uh expand the uh that that process and make it much more comprehensive and oh. it was it was amazing really and the bar the thing people really need to realize about the EUA is that the bar is very low and it's low on a, on purpose you're dealing with an emergency and you have to show that there's Uh, possible positive impact on the public health emergency, you have to show that there is a reasonable uh, likelihood that the benefit of the device use outweighs the risk. And you have to show that you're gathering uh, information uh, while the device is being used for eventual marketing, you know, for the formal Mm old-fashioned marketing application. So the bar is actually pretty low and uh, you just have to establish with minimal evidence that there's reasonable likelihood of you know, benefit. Okay. So a lot of these things are being put on the market right now meeting that bar, which doesn't mean they're bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, they haven't gone through the more rigorous approach, but in the case of an emergency, you're doing the best you can with the information right. you have to make sure that devices are available, or drugs, or or biologics mm-hmm. are available for people to use. So it's interesting that um, there's always, you know, you can't make 100% of the people happy all the time, of and course. so some people complain. But you have to realize that this is in the case of an emergency. When the public health crisis goes away, all of those emergency use authorizations immediately cease. Mm-hmm. So. Every device that's on the market, every drug, every biologic that's under emergency use authorization, once the COVID public health emergency stops, we'll have that authorization revoked. Okay. So it's only for an emergency. It doesn't mean it's on the market forever.
0: Interesting. Had no idea about that. That's very interesting. Yeah. So so back to Echo. Uh, I just I just had to throw that in there. I was just I was fascinated by that. No, it's so, cool. so back it's cool. to Echo, yeah. You know, and again, where do you see, what's next for Echo? I mean, you've got a great product, you know, uh, you've got the predictive AI there. Uh, so so what, where's your future looking?
1: So we're really dividing our efforts into two streams, if you will. One is in the clinic,
0: mm-hmm. where
1: physicians would be using our stethoscopes on patients. We want to make Uh, the best hardware product we can, and we really think the core stethoscope is the best stethoscope Mm -hmm. you can buy, best sound, et cetera. The Duo device is very interesting and unique and is going to be constantly improved um, until it is the best uh, EKG you can get and so forth. Mm -hmm. So the hardware is very important. But in the clinic, what the physicians really want is to have screening capability. They want to pick up disease as early as possible and as accurately as possible. So we want to make devices that can pick up not just a heart murmur, but they can tell you what kind of murmur it is. Mm. So is it dangerous or not? That sort of thing. We also want to develop devices that can pick up heart failure before patients have symptoms. Mm -hmm. And we know that if you treat those patients early, they live longer, they have better lives. We want to look at things like lung disease, pick up lung disease uh, early. Mm -hmm. So really the clinic is one stream. The other one is the home, which you mentioned earlier and we spoke about. And we want to build it into a really, really seamless experience for the patient. So it's a no brainer. You can use the thing. Everything is automatically integrated. There's you don't have to worry about a Wi-Fi signal. I mean, we want it to be completely seamless, completely easy, and we want to make, continue to advance the AI to the point where, you know, physicians aren't just inundated by tons and tons of data. They can't figure out who's sick, who's healthy. It's just you know, this deluge of data. It all needs to be managed by the AI. And then we can show better outcomes. We can show reduced cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to show that we're improving the healthcare system. So those are really the two streams we're focusing on.
0: Okay, so so uh, you know from from that that kind of lends me to think that some of your your efforts are going to be partnering with managed care organizations, ACOs, things like that. Uh, Absolutely, uh, you know, that, you are, that are looking right. at the preventative and the and the early diagnosis. So
1: yes, focusing on those value based systems where right. you know those factors are really important. We want it to be a good experience, but we also mm-hmm. want to show better outcomes. We want to show reduced cost of care, um, you know, using an inexpensive, ubiquitous device.
0: Yeah, great. Well, Dr. Saltman, it's, it's been really interesting because you, you've touched on you. a lot of needs uh, and, and you guys are certainly doing, a, doing. seem to be doing a really fine job in, in meeting those needs. And, uh, and And certainly, you know, early diagnosis, early detection is, is, is crucial, uh, not only in the clinic setting, but certainly here in the hospital setting too. So, uh, you know, I wish you, I wish you well with that. Uh, any parting words? Well, oh, thank you so much for those kind words. That was great.
1: Um, parting words, well, I think, you know, look forward to changing the way uh, your physician practices medicine, and also to participating in your own mm-hmm. care. And uh, those are very important things,
0: and uh, we look forward to them in the future. So it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's been great talking with you, Dr. Adam Saltman, uh, the chief medical officer at Echo. Uh, so all of you listeners uh, here on I don't Care, we thank you as always. Uh, you, know, you know what time? 9:30 uh, uh, Central time, every Friday morning on market scale radio. And if you can't catch us, quote unquote, "live." Uh, you know, you know, you can go to iTunes or Spotify and download us. And if you haven't already subscribed, as I say every week, what's wrong with you? So with that, uh, I just want to say thanks again for listening. And we will be talking with you again next week. Have a great week.